0: And now, here's your host, Sean Rost.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I'll be your guide to explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from Our Missouri. This year's Missouri Constant History may be over with, but we still invite listeners to meet us in St. Louis for a multi-part series focusing on several projects and institutions that document the city's history and cultural identity. Our guest today is Kiana Irvin. She earned a PhD in history from Washington University in St. Louis and presently serves as an associate professor of history at the University of Missouri in Columbia. Her book, Gateway to Equality, Black Women in the Struggle for Economic Justice in St. Louis, was published by the University of Kentucky Press in 2017. Welcome to the R Missouri podcast, Kiana. Thanks so much for
0: having me. It's a pleasure to, to be on.
1: Tell us a little about the origins of your book and really the story behind it.
0: Sure, sure. Well. Um, you know, I, it, I, guess, I guess we could start um, uh, the story probably in like, a, I, was, I think in my first or second year in graduate school, it's so actually taking a class in oral history methods um, taught by the late Leslie Brown, Dr. Leslie Brown, who was my advisor, um, and she had done a lot of great work um, in oral history on the kind of history of Black women in Durham, North Carolina in the 20th century. So yeah, I mean, our our culminating project for that class was to find a local, in this case, civil rights activist. So someone who was particularly active in like St. Louis-based community work, you know, in the 1950s or 1960s or even beyond really, and to conduct, you know, an oral history with that individual and kind of going through, of course, all the methods that are that are crucial to kind of preserving um, the oral tradition and and telling of the past. So I I found, I really stumbled upon um, the figure of Aura Malone, Aura Lee Malone, um, who was actually featured in Doris Wesley, who's also um, passed away, but she was an important archivist at the University of Missouri St. Louis and produced a a fine um, collection of oral histories by African-Americans in the 20th century in St. Louis. Um, And so I found Orr Malone through her work, through Wesley's work, and literally looked up Malone's information in the phone book, which I don't know if they even make phone books as they did way back, as they do now, or as they did back then. But um, I found her address, I found her phone number, and I called her. It was was a complete cold call. But, you know, I, I basically interviewed her for that project and learned, I think, a great deal about how to maybe rethink um, the Black freedom struggle. I mean, she was um, born and raised in the Deep South, then migrated part of the second great migration with her family. She moved to St. Louis in the early 50s, found a job or located a job at a manufacturing plant, actually a, a, a clothing um, manufacturing plant that produced men's clothing. Um, and basically after a few years unionized, helped to unionize that shop, and became this compelling labor leader for the next you know, four, four decades or so, four to five decades. So an amazing trajectory that really helped me kind of think differently about how we define black freedom or how we define the kind of scope and trajectory of the civil rights movement and what it means in particular to center black women and, and what happens to our narrative when we do that. So I originally intended to write a dissertation on Orly Malone, a kind of political biography that just would trace her activism, starting in Alabama and Mississippi, where she grew up and then kind of following her into St. Louis and then, you know, explaining basically the the kind of landscape of her work. But a lot of our conversations, um, in in a lot of our conversations, Malone just kept referring back to the 1930s as a kind of critical moment in the trajectory of St. Louis labor history and, and really showing me kind of the roots of her activism in the 50s and beyond or the kind of origins you might even say or certainly antecedents of that um, later history were, were actually to be found in the 1930s and 40s. So, what began as a kind of political bi- biography of Orly Malone actually turned into a kind of history of the generation that preceded her.
1: Very interesting. And you mentioned elements of oral history, certainly, and getting her story uh, and getting that information of kind of that firsthand account um, from her memories and certainly through her eyes. Uh, what yeah. other sources did you analyze and consult for the project, um, thinking of archives and primary yeah. materials that you're really getting at?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So you know um and yeah in addition to kind of um using oral histories both both oral histories that i created but relying much more heavily on um a body of oral history collections that that have just been fantastic um and, and have been produced in the last maybe 10 to 15 years or so so beyond that i i relied a lot on organizational histories so the St. Louis Urban League papers were especially crucial for kind of documenting Um, the history of Black women's labor in the 30s and 40s because the St. Louis Urban League had a rather robust and active chapter, um, and they also had, had their own women's division. And so a team of Black women professionals, many of them in social work, basically oversaw the process of Black women, Black women migrants in particular, you know, finding and locating manufacturing jobs. And then in many cases, serving as their advocates when conflicts um, emerged. So the the Urban League records were particularly helpful in just kind of giving a picture of the kind of broader landscape of women's employment in St. Louis. Um, And I also looked at other organizations, of course, like labor groups, um, you know, NAACP records, um, the records of particular um, activists who emerged you know, later in the in the in the period, like 1950s and 1960s, like Orly Malone, Frankie Muse Freeman, for instance, is another key name. Um, Ernest Calloway, an important leader of the times, Diverne Calloway as well, an important political leader. So they had individual papers um, at the State Historical Society. Uh, the the St. Louis branch actually um, has a has a really nice collection in labor and civil rights. Um, and so I drew a lot upon individual, individual records, organizational records, um, oral history, as well as governmental documents. So I was looking at, for instance, um, the Women's Bureau and a number of their publications on women's employment included groups of, the, of, of women workers that I featured in my, in my um, dissertation, at the time, dissertation and now book. And the other piece, um, the, the other element to, I guess, my source material is actually, um, you know, music. So blues recordings and blues recordings produced in the 1930s, I found out of by St. Louis artists actually discussed a group of women um, nutshellers that I, I have an entire chapter dedicated to their work. Uh, but to find a blues recording by two prominent um, musicians of the time was really, help- and, and and then uh, of, of course, about these women was it, it was, it was quite the find. So using music as a way to kind of think about the expressions of a kind of black women's working class consciousness or black working class consciousness was particularly useful. And I also relied upon um, the music, the song, the playbills, the sheet music, of a rather um, active interracial labor organization, the ILGWU, who in the 1940s produced um, basically plays, plays for workers by workers, that really try to communicate labor's message. So I actually found the records um, of the of the songs essentially that were performed, and in many in many cases the scripts that were performed in a in, in in series of these productions. And that too helped to kind of think about how these, these laborers, how these workers are, of course, engaging themselves in collective work, right? And under the banner of organized labor, but how the element of culture is kind of really crucial to both thinking about building a kind of working class consciousness, but also getting to some of the, the risks and the conflicts within that, that collective um, enterprise.
1: Before we return to our conversation, here's Danielle Griego with some information about upcoming events. National History Day in Missouri is looking for educators, historians, writers, filmmakers, museum staff, and community members to judge student projects. The state contest will be held on April 25, 2020. National History Day in Missouri is a unique opportunity for middle and high school age students to explore the past in a creative, hands-on way by producing a documentary, exhibit, paper, performance, or website on a topic of their choosing. To learn more about National History Day in Missouri, including judge orientation and how to start a program at your own school, please visit shsmo.org slash nhdmo. Now, when one thinks of the traditional narrative of the civil rights movement in the United States, obviously plenty of attention given to the 1950s and the 1960s for, you know, not only the activism in the era, but also the legislation passed at kind of state and national levels. But something interesting with your book is really this element of a prehistory to the civil rights movement. Why did you want to center your focus on this prehistory?
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know, I, I think... You know, I, I'm not sure so much of. It. I mean, I I'd like to kind of think of it as as the antecedents of what would emerge in the 1950s and 1960s, or kind of the heroic, you know, period, as many um, kind of historians have called it, the heroic period, a um, classical period of the civil rights movement. But in terms of both, uh, so first to think about kind of. Um, the, the broader historiography on you know, the scope, the, chron- the chronolo- chronology, the timing, and so forth of the Black freedom movement. What's, what's interesting about the St. Louis case study is the way that working class concerns in many ways remain consistent through the 50s and even 60s. And that's, that's something that kind of challenges maybe an older uh, idea of a scope and trajectory of the civil rights movement that kind of argues that there's a break um, that happens around basically the early 1950s um, in terms of uh, kind of moving, the movements kind of moving away from economic issues. But in St. Louis, you see a kind of, uh, I guess you could say a, a through line, if you will. There's a continuity around um, you know, emphasizing kind of economic questions. So, and the other the other thing that's I think crucial here too is that women. What well, part of the argument of my book is that women, black women, black women activists, and their their kind of collective work, labor, really that that was really instrumental in helping to keep that economic for focus within the movement. Um, and so, you you can't really tell that story um, of how it, in a sense, persists throughout. The kind of post World War II period, without appreciating kind of the groundwork that women kind of set in the in this earlier period, and you and, and I kind of date that origin kind of story to the 1933 Nutsheller strike, um, which occurred around May of that of that year. And, that, and my argument is that that's kind of a, a an opening, a portal through which you see a kind of powerful emergence of kind of economic-based Black freedom struggle with, with Black women at the center. So I, I'm, I'm trying to both engage kind of the larger historiography, um, but also do that by showing kind of what made St. Louis distinctive within these, these larger um, kind of uh, narratives. And to appreciate, too, the, 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 the importance of place and thinking about how movements unfold. And even the, the, the place of women within those movements, place is really crucial there.
1: You know, one might argue that this project is is rooted in labor history, and yet it seems so much more complex than just one kind of scholarly affiliation. What do you think is your mm-hmm. project's contribution to not only labor history, but also the history of economic justice and really the larger Black freedom struggle?
0: Right. Yes, yes, yes. I, I appreciate that question quite a bit. I mean, you know, I am, and I, I, I in my comrade, I guess we could go back to my conversations with Orly Malone, and just the her insistence on both both the importance of the economic, you might say, the importance of the economic to Black freedom struggle, broadly speaking. You know, as in that was her kind of personal um, and kind of professional um, belief around kind of thinking about class questions. But that also she helped me see that those questions really did animate um, the, the 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 movements that that were defined as in, in a sense trying to um, yeah make a kind of better life for for Black Americans in the 20th century. So yes, I, I absolutely see my work as contributing to a larger economic history in in a couple of senses in in one i mean in one in one way i'm I'm simply saying that black women's activism should be seen as contributing to a kind of larger discourse um, around race and class or what we might call racial capitalism or just the economic history of the United States right is to just simply say that black women were there and you know, contributing and shaping um, the course of that history, right? And then it was also to really try to kind of highlight um, the mechanisms by which Black women made that argument about the critical, you know, the, the critical, like, nature of the economics, so housing and employment, right, and access to accommodations, public accommodations and so forth, the right to be recognized you know, as, a, as a citizen or to have a kind of state-based recognition around their economic citizenship, right? But that, 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 to, to understand the ways that they made the, the case for that um, is also to kind of really get to, I think, a really um, important, if often overlooked dimension, a kind of intellectual labor that's going on in in black women's activism at this time um, to really put them basically in the, in the position of a a kind of architect of a freedom struggle that, that is thinking quite seriously and quite uh, in in quite complex ways about, you know, how to, how to live well, basically, or how to live with dignity as they would put it.
1: Now, this is obviously a series focusing on kind of the history of St. um, and looking at your book, and certainly in that context, what do you feel was significant about the overall Black freedom struggle in that city, and you could say the larger suburban area in the time period you're focusing on?
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's pretty decisive. I mean, you know, there, there. You know, once upon a time, it it was not. You know, it, it, St. Louis had really not been a part of our, you know, investigation, our conceptual understanding around this history. Um, Here and there, you would see, you know, pieces of that story. Certainly, you know, figures like George Lipsitz um, played an incredible role, an important role in helping to kind of pioneer a kind of black St. Louis study scholarship. Um, But it's, you know, I think today, of course, it's, it's welcomed. I mean, you have, you know, Dissertations and theses and and um you know monographs that are on the way that are very much focused just around St. Louis, and I think that that kind of speaks to um, both contemporary kind of political and economic developments, especially in the world of black activism out of the Ferg- Ferguson uprising, and also just the sense that you know there's there's an important history here, like figures like Clarence Wayne um Walter Johnson's book, which is going to be out just in a bit here are all kind of showing us, I think, in compelling ways how significant um, St. Louis history is, uh, just broadly speaking. So, yeah, I was absolutely trying to speak to that and and building in particular off the work of George Lipsitz, of of Clarence Lane. I wanted to kind of look at how women were crucial to building um, a rather robust Black freedom struggle, again, that focuses around a kind of working class subjectivity or working-class consciousness, if you will, to use an older term. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of where I see my contribution in terms of St. Louis history. To not just, you know, to not simply, though, kind of argue that Black women contributed, right, that they were there. You know, I, I think other works show that. But to show kind of the, the consequences of that activity. Like, where, in a, in a sense, do you feel or do you see their influence? And how are they shaping kind of the legacy, um, really the activist legacies of that city? I mean, they're, they're front and central. They're not just, you know, kind of contributing, but they are shaping a kind of, um, you know, what Martha Biondi calls in, in one of her, her texts, a kind of Black urban political agenda. That's, that's where Black women's activity is really resting. And it's, something, it's a Black urban political agenda that's really emphasizing a kind of working class liberation that puts their own economic experiences at the heart and soul of that project. So, yeah, I mean, much has been, I think, well, you know, we still need many more studies on Black St. Louis to kind of develop this, um, this scholarship, but I'm excited about about uh, the future of Black, Black St. Louis studies. One
1: term that, I I caught in in reading the book and and certainly was intrigued by was, was the phrase laboring for dignity. Uh, what do you mm-hmm. mean by the term and looking at the at your larger project?
0: Yeah, you know, in, in, I was actually interested in and I wanted laboring for dignity to to actually be the title of the book, <laughs> but that idea wasn't wasn't as welcome. But that's okay. But yeah, but it is a central concept or theme um, in the work. And so what I was trying to draw attention to was the fact of the many labors that Black women performed to make movement work possible. So I was, of course, interested in their labor for a wage, right, or the ways that they are, are finding um, employment through the above-ground economy, in some cases through the underground economy, um, but the ways that they're trying to make a living, right, through through work, um, and, and this, in most cases through work that is, un, un, you know, um, identified as 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 legitimate, you might say, quote unquote. But the other, there were other forms of labor that I thought were really crucial, kind of for understanding this history. And in that, in, in one in one case, it's it's in this case, it's the laboring that they perform, the work that they perform toward making dignity a kind of political issue right, um, politicizing dignity. So we tend to kind of focus quite a bit on welfare rights activism in the 60s and 70s as a point, in, as a point at which you know, African-American women are politicizing dignity, right, or politicizing poverty in a way. But it's happening much earlier as well. And I, I kind of argue that it's, it's the way that these women are using their own economic experiences um, toward kind of political means, effective political means, that they are, in a sense, building um, a kind of activist project around centering dignity. That dignity is a kind of, you know, um, you know, political concept for them. And I, I'm, try, I was try, I'm, I'm trying to kind of highlight the work that it took to make dignity um, a kind of central agenda, right, to go back to that understanding of, uh, you know, the Black urban political agenda to how how did they make dignity central to that agenda, right? It's the work that they performed. Um, So yeah, the laboring for dignity concept is trying to uh, make visible the the multiplicity of, of, of labor forms that Black women were engaged in, Black working class women, Black middle class and professional women, as well as Black elite women. But, but focusing primarily on Black working-class women. you know, How did they make, again, dignity so central to their, to, their, um, to their organizing?
1: And there's certainly a lot of things that readers will find fascinating in the book, informative, and perhaps new in understanding the history of St. Louis. What is something that you mm. hope readers take away in, in, in looking and in, in really going through this book?
0: You know, I think, I think one, one key idea is that Black women thought – seriously about class, you know, that they're part of a much broader conversation around labor and race and gender and kind of class standing in America, notions around the American dream, that they too form a vital part of the, of the working class, you know, and should be kind of understood as such, I think, is, is a key kind of Point that I think you know I didn't necessarily realize that this this is kind of what it boiled down to for me as I, as I wrote this book, uh, but certainly in kind of uh, after the book was published and, and I had some speaking engagements in which i'm traveling a bit and i'm able to talk about the ideas of the book I'm, I'm seeing that that's a key idea, just that black women are part of a part of the working class form a vital part of it, and for for um, for this period and, and for others, of course, but for the period um, that I, I'm interested in, they were shaping key debates around um, class in America, essentially, and to understand them in that light, I think is crucially important um, for our conceptual understanding.
1: Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you
0: for having me. I enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events,
1: please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri.